You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to the Record Podcast, the voice of the Archdiocese of Perth. Hi, listeners, and welcome back to the Records Podcast series. You're with Eric Martin and Amanda Murphy, and we're joined today by two of our special guests, Dr. Marco Ceccarelli, the Director of the Centre for Faith Enrichment here at the Archdiocese, and Dr. Angela McCarthy, Senior Lecturer in Theology at the University of Notre Dame, Australia's Free Mental Campus, both of whom have been selected as delegates to the upcoming Plenary 2020 Sessions that is now, thanks to COVID, in 2021. Guys, welcome to the show. I hope your weekend was wonderful and Monday was kind to you. And um, can we start off just by asking you to share with our audience a little bit about yourselves and the current roles that you're fulfilling here within the Catholic community in Perth? Very well. It's great to be here Thanks, with Marco. you, um, Eric and Amanda. Um, I'm, um, as you mentioned yourself, the director of the Centre for Faith Enrichment, mm-hmm. uh, which is the adult faith formation, adult faith education agency yeah. of the Archdiocese of Perth. Um, I am also um, an adjunct lecturer at the University of Notre Dame, where I teach church history and theology. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So um, my role is split between these two um, fascinating learning centres that are so connected to uh, the Catholic faith. Um, mm-hmm. I am. Um, I've I've lived in Perth uh, my whole life. Well, n- not quite, but I did. A, I, I've been in Perth since the age of nine when I moved uh, to Perth with my family. Uh, we are orig- originally from Rome. Wow. wow. Yep. Um, and we actually uh, came out here uh, in the early 90s as missionaries for the Catholic Church. My goodness. Um, so that's my background. I am um, married with three children, three boys, which keep me very, very busy. Very busy, busy I'm <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, yeah. uh, I'm involved also in, uh, in, in my parish in various different roles, including um, helping out with the youth groups. There. Fantastic. So you've really got sort of, I suppose, a really broad spectrum of insight then into various church activities for those different roles that you have, both in a professional sense, but also just as, as a parishioner and a father and someone involved in church. Um, Dr. McCarthy, could we just ask you a little bit about yourself as well and, and your background here in Perth? Yeah, thanks, Eric and Amanda. Um, yes, well, my background's a little longer than Marco's, <laughs> being one of the older brigade. Um, but my action within the church has been very, very long term. Um, while I've been teaching at Notre Dame for over 20 years now, mm-hmm. I started at Notre Dame as a student in 93, so I've been with wow. Notre Dame all but one year of its existence. Um, but prior to that, I was in secondary education and my origins are in the eastern states. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of nine children from a Irish Catholic background. And it was very interesting reading material um, about the Plenary Council discernment papers yep. about those who are from Irish Catholic backgrounds. Background. Yeah. That was so culturally um, unifying in mm. my mm. childhood, but of course it's not now. So there's a you know major cultural change there. But yeah. in the mm. 60s, excuse me for going back this far, but during Vatican, the Second Vatican Council, yeah. um, we had a fantastic young priest who had been a secretary at the council who came to our parish and enthused us with this extraordinary thing that was happening in Rome, mm-hmm. taught us all to play the guitar, 
which drove the local parishioners insane. <laughs> Fifteen very badly tuned guitars sitting, you know, all along the front rows. Strumming soulfully, yes. Uh, strumming badly, mostly. Uh, I have horror memories of it. But it began me in a liturgical musicianship, which has gone on now for well over 40 well over 40 years, yeah, maybe wow. longer. Yeah. But it's still um, my passion for the church. So my passion is um, family and church and then that's taken me into the realm of education, which has, of course, taken me eventually to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, like Marco, I've been heavily involved in parish. I've been up until this year. I was on the parish, council, parish liturgy committee in our parish for over 30 years have been involved constantly in that yeah. mm-hmm. at a diocesan level, at a national level. Um, so it's been my lifeblood, if you like, this, um, this process. part of being church yeah. Yeah. and growing in church. So for me, <clears throat> all of that has led to this extraordinary challenge of the plenary council and mm. the extraordinary nature of being able to embrace that. And Brilliant. being part of that, Brilliant. which is fantastic. Which I suppose, yeah, really explains to our listeners as well. I mean, that's the reason that we, we have you both here today mm. is to talk about plenary. Um, you've both been selected as delegates. Mm. And uh, I suppose one of the things that would, we're just going to really take this back from, uh, I suppose, a very grassroots level and just explain to our listeners as well. So as a delegate for the plenary council, um, what is actually involved in that? And why are we pursuing the process of plenary? here in Perth or here in Australia? Well, so there's two sides uh, to that question. Um, I think I'll begin with the second question first. Mm-hmm. Um, why uh, are we engaging in a plenary council? Yep. Um, so uh, the decision uh, to host a plenary council um, was made quite some time ago. Um, it has been, well, I think it was made up. more than 10 years ago. I don't know the exact date. 20, more than 20. More than 20 wow. years ago. Um, and, and that is because, uh, well, something needed to be done. It was thought by yep. some of the bishops at the time, and perhaps uh, Angela can provide some more, some more the, yep. uh, of, well, of the details. Um, in, in terms of uh, bringing the church in Australia forwards, yeah. Um, in terms of also uh, revitalizing uh, the the essence of uh, the Christian identity mm-hmm. here in Australia, and also uh, discuss. Um, essentially, what were some of those topics that needed to be addressed in order to to revitalize uh, the the Christian faith, um, and perhaps draw also on those uh, those Christian roots which have significantly also shaped Australia. Um, Very true, I suppose. You're looking down from your own past in studies in history. I mean, there, there must be so many examples of you know how that Catholic identity really has was central to so much of the formation of our country. Correct, and I think this is where Angela might be able to um, to address, particularly in terms of that Irish Catholic influence. And I'm, I wonder if maybe she could enlighten us a little bit more about that. Fantastic, thank you. We have a really interesting history um, here in Western Australia because it's actually quite different to the eastern states. We've had different influences. Um, mm-hmm. But primarily by the end of um, the 19th century, we had a dominance of Irish bishops. Yep. Now, the really interesting part of that, it wasn't just an Australian thing. Yep. It actually was a worldwide thing where um, gotcha. Irish Catholic bishops were kind of sent all over the world, missionary tack, if you like. Mm. Um, that influence um, 
was very powerful on the local face of the church. So um, in terms of pious devotions, in terms of um, the way parishes functioned, um, the supremacy of the Irish parish priest was just unchallenged. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so that culture that I come from, I'm a mm-hmm. child of that culture, I have seen that radically change um, since then. But even visually, you see some of the artworks that you'll see in older Catholic churches, not artworks because they're not really art. Um, that's another question, another <laughs> time. Uh, they are images perhaps of the um, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. These kind of images are very, very strongly placed within the well, Irish, Irish Catholic heritage. culture. Yep. Uh, same with the, the layout and the way, church, way parishes functioned. Mm-hmm. But, of course, that as we lost that generation or several generations of um, of Irish Catholics, um, we now have a much, much more diverse international um, influence in terms of clergy and in terms of um, people. You know, we've come from all over the world. Marco, mm. a missionary to us. Yeah, from Rome. fantastic, yeah. from Rome. Yeah. What I would like to add about that is also there is, um, I can't help but think of a, a recent paper which I, which I read about this Irish spiritual empire, which is uh, yeah. calling it a spiritual empire. Um, is an interesting way of defining it, but uh, there was certainly that Irish stamp on the the Catholic identity here in Australia, yeah, which very much over so. over different generations, and particularly considering the different waves of migration from countries like Italy or mm. like Southern Europe, like Greece. Yep. Um, eventually, uh, what we saw was a, an intergenerational change and a much more, mm-hmm. as Angela mentioned, an international. Um, um, Australian Catholicism, which which then became an Australian Catholicism yeah, in its own yeah. right and developed. Um, and, and I suppose we're seeing that now, the continuation of it, aren't we, in we terms are. of a, a really high influx of um, Vietnamese priests coming through as well. Mm-hmm. And we're recruiting heavily from Southeast Asia now in terms of our vocations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, guys, just with that, I'm, I'm a bit of a history student as well, so I must admit one of the things that really struck me is quite humorous, looking back at some of the plenaries from when the Irish priests were fairly dominant was plenary back then dealt a lot with issues of drinking, unfortunately. And I was wondering though, could you tell us something a little bit about some of the issues maybe that have changed over the years that we might be looking at in our current plenary? (laughs) Well, yes. um, Two of the things as I've been reading the papers on all the various material that's available now, um, two of the things that I seem to see very clearly are the role of women in the church mm-hmm. and um, being a wife and a mother and a grandmother of 14 and, you know, very much a woman of the church. But I'm also seeing that um, and hearing that women need to have much greater a voice in the church. The mm-hmm. Irish Catholic model, of course, um, yes, the parish priest used to drink whiskey and it would be very good if you could supply him with a bottle when he visited your home. Um, that's part of the Irishness. It's yeah. not a good side, but it's certainly part of the Irishness. Um, but I just see that um, besides that, one of the other things that keeps coming up in all of the aspects of what we've received so far about the Plenary Council is the idea of clericalism, um, that clericalism it needs to be seriously considered as something that is... Um, now, just, just to expand on that, would, would either of you, or Amanda, feel free to jump in here as well, yeah. be able to give us an example of what clericalism might look like? So what are we actually talking about here in practice? We're talking about decision-making. Mm-hmm. So primarily the, the decision-maker in a clerical model is the clergy. 
Yep. And so in a parish model, then you have the only person who's allowed to make decisions about anything to do with the parish is the parish priest. Okay. Um, that was very, very powerful within the Irish um, tradition, but it's also very, very strongly ensconced. But it's not clericalism is not only about the actions of the priest. It's also the actions of the parish community, that a parish community may well understand themselves as being subject to the priest. Okay. So clericalism is not just about the priest, it's also about the way our community perceptions, is Our views yeah. and responses as well. So we only do what Father says. Got you. Okay. So clericalism in that, and as Pope Francis has said rather blatantly, that clericalism is a cancer because it's not what it's doing is not allowing the people of God um, to function in the way that was envisaged by the Second Vatican Council. Gotcha. So that is part of why I see that we are needing this plenary council mm-hmm. because the plenary council is to look at all of these issues and to look at the future directions yeah. that the Holy Spirit wants to take us in. Gotcha. Yeah, and what are some of the issues that you would raise, Dr. Chakralani? Well, there are a few things that come to mind um, as, we, as we are speaking. Two of the, as, as, you, as, as our listeners may know or may not know, there are the there, there has been um, a first phase to this yep. plenary council, which was called a listening and dialogue phase. Yep. Um, we received something like 250,000 uh, responses. Um, those were broken up into six themes, essentially. They went through a uh, social research process and they were kind of refined into these into six themes. Then we mm-hmm. had a listening and discernment process on those themes. And now we are making our way to the actual event and the instrumentum laboris of this great event, which will be Plenary Council now 2021, um, is currently being worked on. For me, the two themes that stood out were missionary and evangelizing and participatory synodal mm. Yeah. participatory, inclusive and synodal. Mm-hmm. And I guess this discussion segues well in, from what uh, Angela was saying because for me the word that keeps echoing is the laity. Yeah. In essence, um, what has struck me um, has been uh, the, the importance, which also the Second Vatican Council emphasised quite a bit, mm-hmm. of the laity. So uh, I believe that many of the ills, let's just say, that we have in our in our church today, which have been raised also now, are also linked to the fact that uh, the laity needs to be given a more uh, significant role uh, within the parish. The, one of the great things that the Second Vatican, Vatican Council concluded was that the church is the people of God. So mm-hmm. it kind of flipped the pyramid upside down. Which is down, powerful, yeah. Where the, the, the people uh, of God, well, that's the church. In fact, yeah. in the first 300 years of Christianity, we had no churches and there was not much focus on hierarchy either. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only when the church was confronted with a lot of uh, threats, you could say both ideologically and physically, yep. that the church started to become a lot more um, defensive mm-hmm. and therefore also hierarchical. So there was, yeah. a, there was a shift there from what is historically called prophecy to, to, to more structure which is also where then, of course, there was this, we could say, unhealthy link between uh, the church and the state, begun by the Emperor Constantine. Mm-hmm. And therefore, what we've seen is much more of a focus on, on structure. For me, and this is where I bring in those two themes, yep. um, the power of the laity, um, whilst the, the hierarchy is incredibly important, has its place. Yes, it has its place, but it, the, the laity is the one that is really bringing this plenary council forward. We have heard. The, the majority of the responses have been from them. Mm-hmm. The themes have been 
established based on what they have said. What they brought forward. And yeah. therefore, the laity is really front and center of, of this, of this uh, well, so far, of this process, process, process. not of this council, yeah. but of this process. And it is hoped that uh, laity and, and, and the clerical body of the church can work together um, in terms of bringing the Church of Australia into into the future into, into harmony and into yeah. yeah the question at the very center of this plenary council was what do you think god is asking of us in australia at this time yeah yeah the word church was left out in mm. in in that first instance because the the idea here here is and it's been mentioned that the holy spirit is also leading this entire process yeah and we have to have confidence in that, that i've on yeah. the way heard lots of negative criticism but if we're going to be very negative about it, then we're denying the power of the Spirit. And that Absolutely. isn't a healthy place to go when you're church. Yeah. Um, I think it's worthwhile just expanding a little on mm-hmm. what um, Carlo, sorry, so Mario Marco. just, Marco just <laughs> said. Um, we're, what like Carlo, Carlo's <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, sorry about that, Marco. Um, the, the initial phase was listening and dialogue and it was a very Beautiful process, yep. and uh, I was involved in many different groups in that, and it was very beautiful. The next one was all of that information was gathered together and then put into a document um, that in those six themes, mm-hmm. and then people could review them. There was a snapshot, which was really great because mm-hmm. you could see the kind of words that people around Australia had used. Then there was um, a paper on the theme. Now, we've been through that and then had the next phase of discernment which was people thinking and listening and making more submissions and discerning really carefully. And that process had quite a bit of silence in it, yeah. Um, yeah. which some of the parishioners found challenging, others found very fruitful. Mm-hmm. But then the next section, and Carlo mentioned it, is the Instrumentum Laboris, where you have that material is all going to be gathered yep. and examined by experts, and from that comes the agenda of the council, of mm-hmm. the plenary council. Right. So yeah. that's a really important. So it's been a, a very involved, inclusive, as mm. much as as possible process Huge in this lead up towards it. Everybody yeah. had the opportunity, if they yeah. wanted to, to be part of that, and I, I think that's been a very, very beautiful part of the process. A fantastic, that anyone fantastic. who wants to be there can absolutely. Be there. But as pre- uh, as plenary lay delegates, mm. and uh, um, should we mention also, you joined by. Uh, Mr. Damien Walsh and Emily Hartbottle as well. Um, This was announced sort of during lockdown, I believe. And so how has things changed in terms of of the process of the plenary council being um, postponed to next year? In the meantime, is there anything that's yeah, I mean, well, you've got this pandemic done. going on that's just yeah. been happening here. But so. um, with the use of the internet, perhaps, has there been any discussions or anything online? Not officially, has there? No, been. not officially because, okay. of course, more we had it backed. Yeah. Um, I also had the opportunity of being uh, on uh, as, as part of, um, I was helping out with the organisation of the listening and dialogue, listening discernment process. Yeah. Um, I happened to listen to something that um, Archbishop Timothy Costello said recently about about this fact that the plenary council was going to be postponed because of the coronavirus. And I think there is an opportunity there for us to perhaps have more time for discernment. Yeah. One of the things that Angela mentioned is that this process of discernment required silence. Mm-hmm. It was based on the Ignatian tradition of reflecting on scripture, 
meditating um, on its uh, impact on you, on both you personally, but also on yeah. the voices of the group. So it's called communal discernment, which implies that it has to be done in a group of people and you are trying to pick up on the voice of the Holy Spirit through the voices of the people in your group, which essentially also reflects what the plenary council is all about, all about really. We're yeah, trying to yeah. listen to God's voice through the voices um, of, of, of the faithful. This is also a, a bit more of a complicated description to it called census fidelium, um, which is a, a concept um, championed by Cardinal Newman, whereby mm. um, the, the voice of God is heard through the voice of its people. So essentially the coronavirus has slowed everything right down. Mm. It's giving us a time to reflect more on these papers that yep. have just been published. Yep. Um, so just recently, um, the, the the actual documents of the Plenary Council have been, the documents yes. on the themes yeah. of the Plenary Council have been published for people to look at, accompanied by a, an extensive amount of information mm -hmm. uh, on the website, which explains uh, what it is that we're doing, both in terms of theology, theory, um, but also pushing people to one of the great questions of, the second phase, the listening and discernment phase was, how do you think of applying these ideas to your particular local reality, to your yeah. parish? But there's not just ideas, but that's something that's practical that can be exactly. worked. It may be your and, parish. And made real. It may yeah. be your yeah. ecclesial community. Mm -hmm. It may be your prayer group. It might be your school. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be um, your the group of people that you look after mm -hmm. at an aged care facility. So. Mm -hmm. In your in your particular reality, how can you apply some of this so that it, it it's not just here we're just talking here and in, yeah. in this yeah. sense we also believe or I speak for myself I also believe this whole process up until now has been fruitful mm -hmm. so yeah. and I hope that but even maybe just dis discussing these ideas getting them out on the table discussing the, the ideas yeah. and realizing that the process is is helpful and and is necessary and the this whole this plenary council will not finish uh, next year in uh, in October 2021 in fact as archbishop costello said recently it's the beginning of yeah. so this plenary yeah. just, just the start of identifying fruits. just the start of discussing Correct. it and trying to come yeah. to terms with it's also about one of the things that impressed me in reading lots of the material that's on the website mm -hmm. is the pain there is so much pain among the people of God. They have witnessed this Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse. They have yeah. lost, um, there's a terrible loss of um, respect. There's a terrible loss of confidence. Well, it's, um, it's almost, I see that, that moral authority, which was traditionally the voice diminished. of the church, seems to have been so damaged by this. Damaged. And, yeah. and I think one of the really good things, I mean, mind you, as I read a lot of the material, I am... Deeply moved by the pain, but it's it's not just the pain of that whole sexual abuse um, crisis. It's also the pain of women my age who are watching their children and their grandchildren, and their grandchildren aren't even baptised. Mm -hmm. um, there's this whole generational loss of their Catholicism, and and they're watching this, feeling completely and utterly unable to do anything about it and seeing that... Unempowered almost. Really yeah. unempowered and they're, they're seeing their children and their grandchildren just disappear from any understanding well, of Angela, their place in church. I suppose, as mentioned during the introduction, you taught a, a compulsory core unit in theology at mm. Notre Dame University and you mentioned as well with the younger generation that you heard many times from, from your students that they felt the church wasn't listening to them. Mm. Um, 
Could you please tell us a little bit more about some of the issues where the youth are, are feeling ignored? And what's preventing them, do you think, from becoming engaged in a meaningful dialogue with their leaders about some of these issues? The words of some of the students that, um, now these particularly, I'll, I'll choose the students that, not the ones who are totally unchurched, but the ones that have come through a full Catholic education. Mm-hmm. During that time, so many of them spoke about the wonderful things that they did, um, their sense of social justice, the sense of, of being part of a community that worked towards ideals and uh, morals and a, a way of living. They were impressed with that. But then they come out of that if you like, a cocoon of a particular form of experience of church. Mm-hmm. They get to university, they're challenged by having to work and pay debts and do all the rest of those young adult things that are always mm-hmm. challenging, um, and then try and find their own way to have a space within the church. That they can still yet and, express their faith and, and, and find so many out. of them yeah. said, well, we just can't find a place there. And then it becomes obvious that the what they understand the church is uh, that has come from their wonderful education mm-hmm. um, is not the reality of the church when they get out there. Gotcha. Yep. This is not a lived reality. Um, so they're very, very disillusioned. Uh, when they step back then from any further information, what they get is the only information they have about Catholicism is what they read in the media. Which or, isn't um, that positive mostly these no, days. No, it's very so, negative. So they yeah. have ideas that the church is completely non-compassionate to marginalise groups of people. That's mm-hmm. actually blatantly like, false. Untrue. But yeah. it's, it's a, a perception. So mm-hmm. we end up with a whole series of perceptions that aren't rooted in reality but colour their understanding of what church is. Yeah. Um, and that's the opposite end to their grandmothers who are mourning the loss of their grandchildren in, in a church it, it must be so hard as well these days when, when the message is, is just so hidden and bombarded underneath constant mm. media. I mean... The voice of the church, I don't think it's shrunk, but it just seems to have been drowned out somewhat maybe by this ever-increasing volume of, of background noise from the world that we keep encountering. Well, when you have the things like the Royal Commission's sexual abuse within the church, yeah. it's not just the Catholic Church, but the media would have you believe that believe it, it was. that, that yeah. is primarily the Catholic Church. Yeah. That is, again, blatantly untrue. Mm. Um, but at the same time, the impact of that on social consciousness and yeah. understanding of church has been extremely detrimental. Mm. And, and Marco, you work very closely with the adult Catholic community. Um, would you be able to share uh, uh, some of the perspectives among the older generations, or perhaps the young adults maybe that you um, serve, and what are some of the concerns and issues that have been raised with you? One of the topics that came up often um, was that among both adults and, and young adults was that of faith formation. Yeah. Um, and this is, uh, um, again, another one of those things that can, could perhaps help to address uh, problems like this bombardment of the media mm-hmm. yeah. um, uh, that, that people are, are surrounded by. Um, so this is, look, many, many topics came up. So I hope, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm not doing what people have said justice by just uh, isolating a few. But yeah. I, think of, um, I think of faith formation mm-hmm. and I think of this fact that perhaps um, after confirmation especially, young people seem to not really have anything that uh, forms them. Mm, uh, they yeah. seem to fall out of, uh, of love 
they fall out of line with their faith simply because um, perhaps the church hasn't been that good in terms of offering them something that catches them mm. and that perhaps pushes back on the, the secular pressure that is on them. Mm. And, um, and so the, the focus, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that this will be a focus of the Plenary Council. I don't just say this because I'm involved in faith formation. I say this because something that's it is something that, that is coming yeah. up and yeah. it is something that, that needs to be addressed. Mm. Um, we, uh, f- I mean, we, 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 we play our part, but I think what perhaps what this plan, what this plenary council will help us to see is where, uh, where are these the the new voices coming from? For example, mm-hmm. there are many new movements within within the church. Yep. I can't help yeah. but think of the 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 extremely wonderful work that the religious have done here in Australia in terms of transmitting that faith to people, both in the schools, but also just because of that contact that the religious had with the families in the yeah. parish. Gotcha. Back yeah. when parishes were much more alive and there were maybe up to 20 groups within the parish mm. operating. So um, it almost sounds there, Marco, like that that practical expression of love or, mm. or of, um, you know, Catholic Christianity in action mm. is what was really Absolutely. the rubber meets the road and converting and winning hearts and souls there. A very wise person once said to me that one needs to have at least five people in, in their life that transmit faith to them mm. for this person to grow up with a, a good understanding and a good grounding of faith and, some, and, a, and an understanding of faith that isn't shaken when mm. the first gust of wind comes along mm. um, and there have been many, mm. um, particularly in the last in, in the last 20 years um, in, the, in the wake of the, the sex abuse scandals. So a strong faith formation um, with, with strong lay leaders also, mm. um, mothers, fathers, young people in, uh, involved in their parish, people who, who really, uh, in a sense, have faith. Yeah. Because yeah. you can only yeah. give of what you have. Mm. So we need people is people who have faith who are able yeah. to transmit this on to to the new generations um, mm. in a way that allows them to have a proper encounter with Jesus Christ, which so is what faith me, is all meets about. meets them in that spot that they are at where they have that particular need at that time for their faith and just mm. being able to identify that and just connect at that time. One yeah. of the, speaking of encounters, I, I really like that word and it's a beautiful word to use in terms of sacraments. Mm-hmm. And within the parish um, situation, I've worked for a very long time with the, the children's program, the parish religious education program. And one of the sadnesses is that it's like the sacraments are to be done. One, two, three, four, finished. Now we can go. We've got all the sacraments. We've done the right thing. Our kids have now got confirmation We've done it all. We don't have to do anything more. Right. Which is such a poor understanding of sacrament. Yeah, yeah. And so there's, the, the sacrament is like um, a, a mark on you that you are given this indelible mark and somehow that's going to make you a Catholic rather than understanding that these are the gifts that are given to us to encounter God in a very particular way in our in our Catholic community. So it almost sounds yeah. like dressing up a soldier in a, in a breastplate and with a short, uh, sword and shield and sending them off, suddenly they're a soldier. But no, they've got, <laughs> no. They've got months of training. They've got boot camp. They've yeah. got all sorts of exercises yeah. and stuff to go through before they get there. So yeah. the, as um, Marco said, it seems like they get to that last, that confirmation sacrament, which actually should be attached to baptism, not anything else. So it, it, there's the confusion, and I think this is yeah. an historical um, catechesis confusion, mm-hmm. and um, there's that old idea that you know sacraments kind of topped you up um, in grace, 
which is a very poor understanding of what grace is. So it's this faith formation um, needs to be very rich and very deep because we've got a long way to go. That's right. And it, it's also something that needs to be understood as um, something that will take time. Mm. Yeah. Um, we, we have this idea, we're a very 21st century idea. We, <laughs> I we now, get everything, instantaneous. We get something yep. by um, maybe, I don't know, attending a course and within, within a few weeks we have faith. Well, no, faith is something that is very long it requires formation. It requires perhaps some catechists to follow you, um, people with whom then perhaps when life starts to throw its punches at you, you can, you can ring them, you can call them, you can ask them. <clears throat> so it doesn't all become about the parish priest. The parish priest has his role. Uh, he administers the sacraments. He's the head of the parish. But um, what yeah. we're perhaps lacking is faith formators that uh, develop a relationship with the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and these people also need a community of faith mm-hmm. within yeah. which to live. So yeah. we, we attend church on Sunday, which is an incredibly important aspect of our faith to receive the sacraments, whether it be the Eucharist, whether it be confession. But perhaps what we lack is a place within which to experience community and communion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Brothers and sisters in Christ where our faith is tested and as it's tested, it's refined and it's made, it's made stronger. So we, we lack these, these elements which constitute a healthy faith formation. Mm-hmm. And, and this has come up time and again mm-hmm. um, in, in the discussions, some of which have been quite animated. I could imagine, uh, yes. You can imagine. <laughs> and perhaps a comment that Mark Col- Bishop Mark Coleridge made at one point uh, when, when launching this he was launching, he's not the head of the plenary council, but he was launching it at first and he was just saying, it's going to get messy. Mm. It's going to get messy, he said, and also we cannot put up a sign on front of the church that says business as usual. Mm. Okay, so we yeah. need to move yeah. forwards. And yeah. look, when it gets messy, for me, it's not a problem. If anything, <laughs> I think for something to move on, for things to change. There's got to be a bit uh, of pain there, needs, there, a little there, bit of there growing needs, pains. There needs, yep. there, needs to, there needs to be... Uh, some sort of messiness involved. Otherwise, we, we won't get nowhere. We will remain complacent. We're not staying real if, if we don't That's get right. to that point. So mm-hmm. don't you think COVID-19, therefore, have given us a, a bit of a bolster here that, you know, nothing's going to be the same. Very true. Yeah. Absolutely. So this yeah. just kind of feeds in nicely. But as you were talking, I was thinking, um, how does it, you know, one of the questions, how does it affect you or how do you yeah. feel emotionally about this? Sometimes I feel completely overawed. And um, completely underprepared and I think how did I end up with this level of responsibility of being a delegate? And then other times um, I've been so encouraged, particularly by some women in our parish who kept pestering me and saying, Angela, please, please apply, please go and do this. And um, I felt humbled by that, deeply humbled, but Mm -hmm. at the same time this is an enormous responsibility um, so it, feeling it a touch There's overwhelmed at times. So much hopes and dreams, I suppose, mm. that everybody has resting on this and, yeah. and people have, I mean, it'd almost be like being elected as a politician, I suppose, in some ways where you're going, I'm representing my constituents out there and, yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, do I get a say? <laughs> <laughs> Who am I speaking for? Who have I, how yeah. do I make sure I've listened well enough and the discernment journey, um, I was talking with my husband of 46 years mm-hmm. about where am I going to get a silent space? I huh. need a few days of real silence. In this I day need, and age, yeah. that, that's harder than Yeah, well, I'm going to have think, to go yeah. away to do it. So I'm trying to pick a place where I can go and 
just be silent for a few days and think and pray mm. and have the chance uh, yeah. to really contemplate mm. and to listen to the, right. the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he's very supportive, which is really, really but lovely. Is that how you prepare for this role, or or do you do you reckon this is an ongoing process? It like, is ongoing, it is but I think you on. need moments of intense preparation. Yeah. And I am now at that stage where that's what I really need. I really need some intense time of silence and um, stillness. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I'm very busy. I'm still working and I yeah. look after grandchildren and I do all sorts of other stuff in my life and parish and still part of music ministry. All of that is very yeah. busy. Um, you know, there's, there's something about And same with you, Marco. I mean, you've got three small children and the franticness that that brings about, where do you get a silent moment? <laughs> I, don't, I think the, 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 the short answer is I don't. So we're just going to ask there, Mark, how old is your youngest? The youngest is eight months old. Yes, Marco does not get any quiet time at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's a guarantee. He's eight months old and he's teething. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. No, fantastic. Yeah. So fantastic. Yes, some colourful language has been used in the middle of the night <laughs> uh, as, as he wakes for the fourth time. Bless you. Bless you, my son. <laughs> Bless you very much. Yeah. Well, guys, can I just ask, just to finish up with this one, um, individually, obviously there's a lot here to be hoped and that we're looking for as a church, but individually, what would you love to see come out of Plenary Council? For yourselves, as a personal hope, something that maybe is just as dear to your heart. What I would like to see, um, it's, it's, it is, it's an important question. It's, it's a difficult question, I think, but it's an extremely important question. Um, I think what I would like to see um, is the Holy Spirit really um, making itself alive in, in the people. Of God, yeah. uh, what I would like to see is uh, people um, truly discerning what it is that God is asking of us, responding to that to that call, responding with with faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would like to see is is a church um, in Australia that that is full of life. Um, what I would like to see is a church in Australia that um, really appreciates and finds this concept of communion uh, important. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see an inclusive, a participatory, a synodal Australia, yep. much like what these themes are telling us, and I'd like to see a missionary and evangelising Australia. So um, this, for me, the encounter uh, with Christ uh, has been so incredibly important with it for me, for my family. I'd like to pass this on to my children. And what I, what I hope is that... This uh, this encounter with Christ becomes so important for 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 Christians yeah. uh, in Australia that we share it with others. That that becomes, and that's what it's essentially mission is all about. That the the the, impo- the encounter has been so important that you feel this urge to want to share it with others. Why? Mm-hmm. Because this is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Yeah. This is what He has yeah. done in my marriage. This is what He has done with me and with the relationships that I have with my colleagues at work, the relationship I have with, with my father and my mother. He has been able to, um, to bring me yeah. out. This, of, this of is my, my yeah. Lord and master and I want you to meet That's him. That's right. Well, this, yeah. you know, these are the practical um, examples of what Christ has done with me. This is why I think it is important yeah. uh, mm. that one has, uh, because I don't know where I'd be without having had that encounter with Christ in my mm. life. 
um, right? I probably, maybe I probably wouldn't be in the church. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know where I'd be. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here s- sitting and speaking with you. So, um, he has done enormous things in my life that I'm grateful for, and I, I think this is an incredibly important message to share with those around us who are. Uh, who have a thirst for this? They want. They want this. I see this in in the friends and the people my age, most of whom have left the church. They. Yep. This is what they desire uh, at the very core of 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 their of their being. Uh, but they need someone that announces this to them. Yeah. So rather yeah. than a library of self help books, maybe that we, we're actually looking. We know who the answer is, and, and we can we can share that with other people. Yeah. I would like to see that this challenge that the people of God have thrown up in this journey towards the Plenary Council mm-hmm. is that renewal is absolutely necessary. If renewal is not obvious, then the bishops are going to lose all credibility because mm-hmm. the people have said this needs to change, that needs to change. You can hear the pain, you can hear the desire for change, you can hear the yearning for a faith-filled, active community that is evangelising, that is participatory, that is synodal. Um, So I think what I really want to see is that um, following the plenary council, what is presented to Rome and then given to the Church of Australia is a changed structure, a renewed structure that embraces what we've asked for. Fantastic. Fantastic. Amanda, do you have anything else you'd like to ask? Really happy with that. Guys, yeah, thank you. Happy. Thank you so much. So much for coming in and joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you both. Um, we'd like to just wish you the best with the upcoming uh, plenary sessions as they take forward. And best of luck, Angela, as well, and trying to find that three days or so of maybe some <laughs> contemplative quiet. We hope that takes place for you. And yeah, just thank you so much for sharing with us thank what you, you. your hopes thank and dreams you. are. Yeah, it's been thank great. You very it's much. been great being here. Been good. Brilliant. Cheers, guys. And with that, listeners, we're going to wrap this up and you can join us in two weeks' time for the next In Our Podcast series. Thank you. Thank you.